all the fans, whenever, whenever Frost says, Hey, people haven't bought in yet. And a lot of the fans, I think rightly go, Nate, what do you know what that is? The door. That's the door. Frost better tell those kids to get out. Well, no, if they're not bought in, there's the door. Uh, Nate. What's up? Uh, I don't want to do this, man. What don't you want to do? Is it two kids living in Nebraska, living the college football dream? This is not the dream. This is a nightmare. Pit of despair. The pit of despair. That's where we're at, Nate. Nate Mobach, Alex Fernando coming at you. You are listening to The Second String, your favorite college football podcast for everything about Huskers and their dis- failures. And their failures, their dismal performances and everything else about college football that's cool and fun and exciting and makes us give hope to the world (laughs) i don't know if there's anything that could give us hope after this saturday oh my goodness welcome in friends family and football fans we're here to talk to you today about the huskers we're here to talk to you today about college football we're going to give you a little college football playoff rankings from mr nate bulmock and myself we're going to talk about the ncaa they they made an interesting vote uh, last week, Nate. So we want to we want to take a little chat at that. It's been a few weeks though. We've been busy. We have. I've been out of town a lot. I'm going to be out of town next week. I mean, hey, <laughs> it, it happens. Uh, you know, work beckons, right? Yeah, that's better, right. Better working than focusing on the Huskers. Oh my gosh. Well, let's knock that out real quick, Nate. The Huskers last two weeks. So last we talked, they were coming off Minnesota. They're headed into their bye week. We thought that it would be a great time for them to just relax get healthy again. Adrian Martinez was hurt and they just kind of get their heads right. The first half of the season ended on a couple sour notes with Ohio state drubbing and Minnesota drubbing. But there was again, some flashes of what potential this team has. Nebraska comes out of the bye week in two very winnable games, two games where they had the lead at a couple points late in the game. They lose, they lose to very mediocre teams. And I will say that Indiana is a bit more above mediocre than Purdue this season. And Indiana's been playing very well. Kudos to them for getting bowl eligible against us. Purdue, possibly on the way to getting bowl eligible because of us. They have, to play, they have to play Wisconsin next week. Like, eh, they ain't getting bowl eligible. We, the, the unfortunate part of this is that Nebraska, this last week, Indiana was a rough loss, as I'll illustrate in a little bit. But this Purdue loss was extremely extremely bad i feel like even saying it was extremely bad is understating it this purdue team was two and six their best player rondell moore out probably for the season i'm assuming they're just going to redshirt him for the- they're not making a bowl starting quarterback out yeah and their starting quarterback is out. majority of their defensive front out their offensive line i think had a couple injuries coming into this game they were undersized undermanned and they moved nebraska around like nothing my favorite part of the game i say favorite because when you're this bad like nebraska is you you need to take a dark you need to take some dark comedy oh i know we we were at the point where we just laughed at the husker defense we were just laughing at how bad the defense was we i have not gotten to that point with the offense where the offense still just infuriates me but i passed that point with the defense just accepting that they're bad and it's absolutely hilarious how terrible they are in some cases it's it's so bad. Like how terrible they performed. Well, the offense the offense also angers me more than the defense. But the the one thing that made me like darkly laugh was like literally in the first quarter, the announcers just straight up were like, Yeah, this Purdue team, their defensive line, pretty small, pretty undersized, had a couple injuries, like the this, next play. The next play immediately blown up for like a five yard yeah, loss. Like, it was just, just like immediately great. in the backfield. This game was kind of a shift, man. I A shift. What do you mean by that? 
I don't even know how to say this because a, it makes me sound very reactionary and B, I don't feel like it's that reactionary, but I also feel like it's very reactionary. The amount of people I've seen that have been like, you know, I'm not off of Scott Frost as a coach, but has honestly been very staggering. When the Indiana lost two weeks ago, a lot of people said, all right, Indiana, they're okay. They're a fine team. They're going to go bowling. They're playing well. They're playing well. Uh, This loss sucks. It was inexcusable, but backup quarterback, we, you know, we brought out a couple of players. We've been Backup quarterback up. with experience. Peyton Ramsey has been a starter yeah. for a season and a half. And he's a junior. He's been in the system with Tom Allen. So you're playing an experienced backup quarterback yeah, no, it, who, you, who, again, used to be a starter. It was, it was fine. We had some weird, fluky luck, that fumble where Vedral bounced the ball off his knee and he returned it for 80 yards. It was like... That turned the Kudos entire game. Kudos to Federal for chasing that man yeah, down. Yeah, I know. Like, exactly. Getting back in the play. Exactly. But, you know, fluky stuff. You can go, okay, Indiana's going to win eight, eight games, seven or eight games this year. That's just, they're going to do that. And you know what? It's fine. Sometimes you lose to teams like those. It happens. The Purdue loss, completely inexcusable on many facets of the game. And you just look at the, the players, you look at the coaching staff, and you go, I don't have any. I don't have any answers for this. What's the fix? It's a tough question to find what the fix is because there. It seems that there's so many things wrong: the execution, the play calling, the design, the just the overall plan of the game in general. It just doesn't seem like Nebraska has that all together. And I want to jump back to the Indiana game. You mentioned. I mean, again, if you're going to call it an acceptable loss, sure, they played hard. We played hard. We kind of got off to an early start. Then. Had some mistakes, but well, to be clear, I don't think it's a, like an acceptable loss. But I can see how you would think that. I could see how you could go, okay, we're not good this year. This is fine enough. Yeah, and Indiana again, they're a team that has capabilities and is well coached to beat other mediocre teams. Nebraska's not at that status, and Indiana's playing yeah, good you, football. You, They've only lost two games all season. They've it, lost to Ohio State big, which everybody has, and they lost to Michigan State close. Yeah, exactly. When you look at the Indiana game, you could say, okay, this is a 7-5 and five team that beat a 6-6 six and six team. Like, it, it happens. But now it looks like we're going to be a 4-8 and eight team. The thing I don't, I don't understand, though, is watching the Huskers week-to-week, especially on defense, you look at Minnesota. They're dominated on the ground. Give up 200-whatever yards in the first half, which is some sco- some sort of Big Ten record or Minnesota record. Then they uh, get 300-plus overall on the ground. You come back to Indiana a week after the bye. Like, All right, we can slow down the rushing attack. We can handle this. And Indiana goes and throws for 350 on us. And Peyton Ramsey, a backup quarterback, again, with experience, but throws for 351, two touchdowns. Wap Fillier, their star receiver, 14 catches for 178 yards. He was everywhere on the field, and he was just open. Nobody was near him when he was catching the ball. And the amount of, the amount of times that that guy had a linebacker on him is, is ridiculous. They're star receiver. Do not put a linebacker on him. Nebraska's linebackers are slow to begin with. You put them on a, a team's best receiver, you're not going to win. It's just unique to me to see, okay, Ohio State destroys Nebraska through the run and the air because they have, just, they have Justin Fields, they have J.K. Dobbins. They can do whatever the heck they want. You go to Minnesota, but they didn't pass the ball against us. They just ground attack because they have a three-headed rushing monster with three very solid, capable yeah. running backs. Again, putting up 300-plus yards on the ground. All right, you, you lock in during the bye week. You say, all right, we got to stop this ground attack. 
you forget about the secondary. You forget about the air attack. And I, I, I've been saying all season, Nebraska's safeties are one of the weakest points of this team, and they're very ignored because of the other weak spots. Because everybody's like, oh, well, Lamar Jackson, DiCaprio Boodle, pretty good corners. Uh, Braxton Clark in there now, pretty solid corners. The safeties are where Nebraska's getting beat deep. The safeties are where Nebraska's getting beat over the middle because they're sending linebackers on these receivers coming off the sides from cross routes, slants in the slot, and the linebackers can't keep up, so they try to pass to the safeties. The safeties are always out of position. If you watch any any throw downfield against the Blackshirts, the safeties are nine times out of ten out of position. Well, Boodle was playing safety. Boodle, yeah, Boodle yeah. switched over to safety now in this Purdue game. Uh, Dismuke has not been performing well in the last couple of weeks. I've been very upset with his performance. And I try not to criticize the students because, I mean, they're students, they're athletes, and they're not getting paid for this. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about potential payment soon, but yeah. I feel like this is just more of a scheme thing. You're putting guys in the wrong position. Like you said, you're putting linebackers on a team's best wide receiver. Well, that's a coaching That's a coaching error. Well, if you look at Chins, and it's, it's interesting that we're talking about the defense because the offense looks like the bigger train wreck at well, the moment. We'll get there. But we knew this coming in to them being our coach that his scheme depends on the fact of getting pressure on the quarterback from outside linebackers from the defensive line. Our, sorry, our which, team is just incapable which of Which the black that. shirts do not have. There's, they don't have that push. I, I just it's I mean it's got to be a development, right? Is is it got is it on the coaches? Do we just All see, summer say, all summer all I heard was, you know, these boys have been in the weight room with Duval for a year. They're yeah. going to be monsters out there. Well, and they're getting manhandled, driven four yards back off the snap every time. I just don't get it because you can say the that players don't buy in excuse. You can there's easy targets to paint. You can say, oh, the Davis twins don't try very hard, which I think is kind of true. You could say Alex there, Davis. There was some. There was Con- a definite lack of effort, not just with the Davis twins, but a number of Husker. You, could, you, you know, you could say Alex Davis doesn't try very hard. You could say Mohamed Barry tries hard, but is not very good which I think is all partially true, but it just feels more complicated. Regardless, Nebraska's a team with more talent than Purdue on defense, than Indiana for their defense and compared to the offense. There are playmakers on this Nebraska defense that should be able to make plays, and I just don't think they're in the right position or know where the right position is. That's a coaching error. That's a coaching mistake where the development in practice, the repetitions in practice, something is not clicking with this defense that Shenandra's running. And it shows because against Minnesota, the linebackers were always in the wrong hole, filling the wrong gap. Against Indiana, they're not in the right coverage zone. They're Again, we should not have the linebacker covering their number one receiver. Yeah. Still, yesterday, defense... Thought it played okay. I'm not so sure. It, two turnovers. One of them was a gimme. It, yeah, but also that one gimme gave us the ball at the two, and we got three points out of it. Can we uh, talk about the offense? I, w- I want to do one. I want to cover one more thing with the defense. Okay. I said this going in to the start of like like the start of kickoff is when I called this, and I was pretty close. If he hadn't gotten injured, I think I would have made it. We had an over-under of 87 rushing yards for Purdue backup quarterback Jack Plummer. He had 61. There's no reason this kid should be tearing up the Nebraska defense rushing the ball for 61 yards. You see it most clearly in their game-winning reverse touchdown pass where all the Huskers crash in on the inside, and you're just like, 
this is this is the they, fundamental football. Yeah, this was taught to me as a freshman in high school, and I still remember. Is somebody you gotta, you stick gotta, to the edge? Yeah, you, the edge, and you just gotta you gotta keep your head up and look. Yeah, it again. I just don't think this defense is getting the right type of coaching to put them in a good enough position to make the plays that they could possibly be capable of making. Again, there are athletes on this defense. They're just not there. And I got, I got this from my friend Matt Solomon. He sent me this yesterday in a text. He's seen better tackling when he's gone fishing. Better tackle from fishing, Nate. And I agree with him. The tackling is atrocious on this defense. And again, that's something in practice they need to work on. You have Barrett Rude, the all-time leading tackler at Nebraska coaching this unit. He's either not good or not doing it right because they don't know how to tackle on this team. It's complicated and interlocking, and I don't... I don't tackling know. is not complicated. You stand in front of a man, you wrap him up, and you take him to the ground. I'm not saying the tackling itself is complicated. I'm saying what's the issue? It seems like it is. is. Is are we just not getting taught well enough? Are we are we allowed being allowed to slack off in practice? Do we just have a bunch of bad apples? Frost always indicates, I think, a little probably a little too much, honestly, that a lot of people aren't buying in. But yet he keeps playing these seniors and these juniors that. All the fans, whenever whenever Frost says, hey, people haven't bought in yet, and a lot of the fans, I think, rightly go, Nate, what? do you know what that is? The door. That's the door. Frost better tell those kids to get out. Well, no. If they're not bought in, there's the door. Exactly. Well, that's, that's, that's what, what he was, did last year. Yeah, no, I'm, that's what I'm saying is because Frost has still indicated, you know, there's not a lot of buy-in, and the fans, I think, maybe not correctly, but have inferred from Frost that he means – Hey, the seniors, the juniors, the guys who got recruited by Mike Riley's coaching staff, they're probably the problem. Even though he indicates that, he keeps putting those same players out there all year, each and every game, and they keep making the mistakes. I mean, how many times have you seen people rip on the Davis twins or Barry or Alex Davis? And yet you've, those you've, you've ripped on all of them today. Yes, I have. And yet Frost continues to put those out there. I'm I know Frost wants to save some of the the freshmen for, for like redshirt years, but there's got to be other kids who want to play who could use the experience if this is the case. And, and again, you have the new redshirt rule where you can play them in four games. Toss them out there. Especially if you're at a point where like this coming or in two weeks, Nebraska plays Wisconsin. I am pretty sure Nebraska will not upset Wisconsin, even at home here. And I can just see Jonathan Taylor running for 342 yards and four touchdowns. Which is ironic because Illinois beat Wisconsin. And yet, I saw them beat Wisconsin. I go, oh, wow, Nebraska's definitely not staying within 30 of this team. No. And, again, this this goes into your offense that you want to talk about. And the offense that I really don't want to talk about but have to. There's no execution. There's no clear-cut scheme. I think these kids are confused. Part of the reason... They just look so inept in all of these plays and all of the schemes and all of the drives. And you just scratch your head like, how do you mess that up? It's such a simple concept. How is that that confusing? Like either information overload, not enough practice, not enough description or not enough explanation on what explicitly they need to do on each and every play day in and day out. And that, again, goes back on the coaching staff. And I'm not saying fire everybody, Frost is a... Obviously, he has the tangible skills to be a great coach. He showed that at UCF. He showed that as an assistant at Oregon. And he showed flashes of it here. But I don't think he's opening up the throttle yet. You can't do right away. But you can start 
pushing in the limits. You can start pushing it up a little bit. Kick the speed up a little bit. Kick that tempo. When Nebraska runs tempo on offense and gets creative on plays, that's when it's unique. That's one thing I really liked about the Indiana game, and I wrote about this in my blog. My good for that game was the creativity on offense, specifically in the first half with Noah Bedrill. I understood the limitations when Luke McCaffrey came in. You still got to take some deep shots. My biggest issue with Frost and his play calling thus far is there's no threat down the field. You have J.D. Spielman, who's easily one of the best athletes in the conference, and he could outrun majority of the corners and safeties that cover him, throw it 40 yards downfield, and just let him run under it for yeah. one play. One play. Like, even if it's just one a quarter. Like, just spread the defense deep. Indiana was lining up nine guys in the box when Luke was in there because they knew we're just going to run quarterback read options and draws. Yeah, and we're gonna and we're gonna run four yard out passes. Yeah, I don't understand where the lack of stretching the defense comes in. He wants to stretch them laterally. He goes. I swear to God, if I see another drive with six bubble screens in it, I'm going to lose my mind. He threw like eight bubble screens in the first three drives, or tunnel, either bubble or, or tunnel. tunnel screen. Yeah, and I'm just like, we were just like, no. You want to know how many? Of, you want to know how many of them got positive yardage? Like two or three. Two, I counted two of them. Because three, three of them were thrown in the dirt. But again, because it, it, it's such a complicated interlocking system of what's going wrong, because A, Baby Frost just can't do it. Because the offensive line is bad, and they can't block worth a damn. No, but it doesn't take a terrible amount of time. And roll the pocket then. You have a mobile quarterback, roll the pocket. Our quarterback also can't make a decision to save his life. No, we'll, we'll get to Adrian. But roll the pocket, take some shots that are 10 to 15 yards downfield on routes. There are so few pass patterns that he has called in this season where there's routes downfield. And I was joking with you on our fourth and one play, or it was like, it was fourth and five, kind of late in the game yesterday against Purdue. And I joked with you before the snap, Frost has two play calls here, a two-yard route to the flats or a deep ball. He went with the deep ball. Of course, they missed it. Adrian has not been very accurate this season, especially with the deep ball. That's part of the reason why they're probably not taking as many shots downfield, but there are openings downfield because with those deep balls, there's those mid-range routes, and that's where I want to get to Adrian. He has not been able to read the defenses at all. And again, I think that goes back to the coaching. Frost is a QB expert. Mario Verduzco is supposed to be, again, this QB whisperer quarterback. There's There's talented and educational guys on this staff that have experience, and know how this position should be played. Why can our second-year starter quarterback, again, he's young, he's a sophomore, he's been banged up a little bit, why can he not read a defense when there's three people around our main receiver and a wide-open tight end five yards down from him, and he throws it deep for an interception? Well, he did that several times, too. Several times. He He overlooked his check-down receiver. He didn't go through his progressions. I mean, we'll talk about the quarterback, but Vedral against Indiana, he, 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 and, and against Minnesota too, you could see him making progressions on the he field. He looked off of his reads. And Martinez, you could tell, especially on that interception, when you, I think JD started in the backfield and he split out as kind of like a wheel route. Yeah. And you could tell immediately from the snap that, there was oh, a corner underneath, there's a safety over top, and there's a linebacker uh, trailing him. Yes. And, and Jack Stoll literally ran 10 yards, turned around, and was wide open. He had a 10-yard bubble around him. Nobody near him. Nobody, nobody even concerned with Jack Stoll. Because all Adrian did was look straight at JD and said, JD's on a wheel route. There's three guys around him. Let's toss this up. And it's just easy pick for the safety because he, 
I mean, he and just he, watched the whole thing, comes he, up and he grabs did, it. And he did the same thing. He didn't get an interception. It was almost an interception, but he did the same thing with, I think, J.D. In the end zone, yeah. in the game. And Cade Warner was for literally the same exact play. Yeah. And Cade Warner was just sitting there for like a 12-yard gain. Do you think Coach Frost should have put in Noah Vedral in this game in, against Purdue? Yes. I'm under the same impression. So what, I want to hear what your thoughts are on this. At what point did you reach that? Probably at some point in the third quarter. That's kind of where I was at. Mid-third quarter, the offense was stalled in the third quarter. Uh, we came out of probably, halftime. Probably right when we got that pump block at like the 30, and we didn't do anything with it. And I was yeah. just like, well. You get zero points out of or a field goal out of it. I think no, we got, no, we got we, zero. We got zero. Yeah, they got zero. Nebraska just squanders it away. And again, I don't want to be too critical on Adrian. He's a sophomore quarterback. There's still a lot to learn. But clearly, he's not playing well. If someone's not playing well, put in someone different and see if they can. Other teams have done that. You look, I mean, this is a very kind of bigger example, but it works perfectly. Alabama in the 2017 national title game. Jalen Hurts is not playing well against Georgia's defense. Throw in Tua Tagovailoa. He has a great half. He plays well. He's able to read defenses. Sometimes that switch up just helps an offense get started. Exactly. It's it's, and Noah Vedral played very well in the first half against Indiana before getting injured. His passes were on point. He's mostly accurate. He made really good reads and checked down when he needed to. Adrian is only going for his number one receiver and his main route. And a lot of times it's covered. It's it's just so frustrating because I watch all the post-game stuff. And I was watching the post-game press conference, which was ironically mercifully short. Frost came out for like three minutes, and then Martinez came out for three minutes. And then literally somebody, <laughs> we heard this live on air, somebody was like, all right, all the players are just getting on the bus. I guess we'll just shut it up, shut it down. <laughs> so it was literally only two players. I just, I feel so bad because I like... I like Martinez. I really do. I I heard his press conference, and the kid has his heart in the right place. Oh, yeah. You can tell he's trying hard, and he's he's gritty. He wants to win for this team. He wants to do better. Sometimes, sit him down. Let him take a breather. Let him just get all that flushed out of his system. Throw in another quarterback. If it's going to help you win the game, that's the end goal, right? That's the team goal. That's what Martinez wants. Yeah. I'm not saying you have to bench him completely and Vedral's the quarterback for the rest of the season. If Martinez doesn't have it that day, maybe Vedral does. Maybe a switch up in the offense could help. Yeah. Especially with a quarterback who, again, knows the system better than anybody because Vedral ran it down at UCF and has run it here. He showed that against Indiana because that was one thing, too, is I have not seen as much creativity in the play calling as I did last year, or last week with Noah Vedral playing Indiana. I've not seen that kind of creativity with Martinez in the game, and he's supposed to be the QB1. But Frost was doing all sorts of tricky plays, doing direct snaps to the back. Vedro's like making fake signals. All sorts of crazy things that we haven't seen with Adrian Martinez in the game. So why is Vedro not an option for you when things go south? I, I don't know. It's Is it loyalty? I, I, I feel like it might be a little bit of loyalty that Frost just says that Adrian's his guy and that he wants the win with Adrian. And I can respect that in a little bit, but it just wasn't working out. And I just don't know. It's it's part of that theme I think we have with this Nebraska struggles where it's we just struggle to put the blame. Like, is it 
on Adrian? Is it on the offensive line? Is it on our skill position players? We haven't even talked about the fact that, honestly, our skill position players have not been very good this year uh, outside uh, of J.D. JD and Wandale. Yeah. Uh, like, none but of them Everybody have been... knows that, so they cover them, and they double-team them. They spy on them. Is it is it just the coaching staff that's to blame for all of those issues? I mean, maybe a little for each case. At, but... at some point, players got to play. I want these I want these kids to step up. If they're going to make a name for themselves, if they're going to play football at Nebraska, they better perform. That's what they came here to do. That's what they say that they're capable of. I do need to see it at some point. And, again, you don't want to be too critical on these student-athletes. I mean, they're our peers. They're a year or two younger than, than we are in some cases. Uh, sometimes even four years younger than we are. But I want to make sure they're being set up in the right position to succeed. And that's what I'm seeing lacking from this Husker coaching staff right now. It seems like they don't have their uh, athletes prepared to play in some of these games and some of these situations. Because, like, the last two drives, Nebraska gets a lead. Nebraska's up 20-17. to 17. Purdue goes on a 13-play, 78-yard, five-and-a-half-minute drive down the field, 24-20 Purdue. Nebraska... Goes down the field, two and a half minutes, nine plays, 71 yards, solid drive. One of the few that we've had all season. Goes up 27-24. Then you have four minutes left in the game, roughly. The defense needs a stop, and they can end this. And the Purdue quarterback had gotten hurt, so they have their third-string quarterback in the game now. And this kid takes a 12-play, 82-yard drive, three minutes down the field for a game-winning touchdown. Why? I don't know. Why is there not the ability to just slow this game down for the defense, the offense, and just execute on a very simple level at the worst possible times. It's the most critical times too, that they just seem unprepared for the situation. That's my biggest issue. And that's a coaching thing. Yeah, that is a coaching thing. And I think ultimately as the season goes on and we get more and more farther in, I feel like you have to lay more and more and more of the blame on the shoulders of Scott Frost, which again, I also hate to say it that way, but it just feels like the curtain is being pulled back. At some point, maybe you have to confront the terrifying reality that maybe Scott Frost just wasn't ready to be a coach. And I'm not saying this is like, well, after this year, let's just let's boot, let's boot <laughs> we, Frost. We, we're not do, we're not doing no. that, obviously. And again, I think I, we I'm have. Not a... sa- I'm not saying it's hopeless. I'm saying there's still a chance that maybe in two or three years we're looking back at this and going. Ooh, that was a rough first two years. I'm glad we got this back on track because I sure love me some Scott Frost. It hangs in the balance way more uncomfortably than I think any Nebraska fan would like to admit of maybe and also in two years we'll be looking back at this and going. that That's a fair assessment. Uh, we're only a year and three quarters in. I don't want to go overly crazy on this team, but I do want to mention that they don't look as good as last season. No, they don't. And that's the issue I have. This team should progress, not regress, from year it, one. It's looking like we are going to end the season 0 and 6, which which last season we nearly last season the Huskers nearly finished uh, 6 and 0 or 5 uh, 5 and 1. Yeah, we. I mean, so, we lost to Ohio. Was, we, uh, we lost to Ohio State. Tight and Iowa, Ohio State. And a tight last one. second field goal, Iowa. So it was finished a four and two, but easily could have been six and zero, oh, five and one. So again, and this team was so close at the beginning of the year. They're one and eight with road games and with Coach Frost. Again, that that's coaching too. And I just we can run circles around this argument. I'm interested to see how this team finishes. I 
don't know how much personal appetite I have to see these teams in the rest of the game. I will probably end up watching them because I hate myself as a fan. But it's one of those things where I think we can argue circularly around this issue all day about who's, you know, who's to blame and what are the issues. I think we, as a fan base, know. And I think we just have to wait till the end of the season and find out how this all shakes out. I agree. I have tickets to the Wisconsin game. Uh, good luck. And, yeah, uh, I, I'm excited to watch Jonathan Taylor just, again, run for 342 yards and four touchdowns. That, that's an yep. impressive feat, nonetheless. Like, regardless of who you're playing or what you're doing, that's always cool to watch. No, it's, it's, it's going to be very unfortunate to watch at the same time. No, I mean, it's always fun to watch great players play. I watched Baker Mayfield play uh, at Oklahoma when he was at Oklahoma, and he absolutely trounced Oklahoma State. But it was just one of those things where it was just it was magical, and I was like, man, this guy is absolutely incredible at playing the game of football. So it's just fun. It's just fun to watch great players. So I wish you all the best on watching. Let's let's remove the Husker from this from the rest of this podcast. Yeah, Nate. let's let's talk a little bit about the rest of college football. There's been some upsets over the last few weeks that we've uh, wanted to talk about, and on Tuesday, the first ever 2019 college football playoff rankings come out. We're going to do a little prediction of our own, see how close we can get with our own playoff rankings. Yep. But first, I want to talk about some of the big games that happened this past weekend. Georgia and Florida, the world's largest outdoor, outdoor cocktail party, excuse me, and the Bulldogs come away with a seven-point victory. Yeah, I, that's about what I expected. I thought Georgia was the better team. I thought they had the better players. I thought they had the better QB. Teams are a bit more similar. I think n- neither of them are hold a candle to either LSU or Alabama, and will probably... I think lose by a healthy amount in the championship game. Probably Georgia at this point because obviously they have the inside track. They have the inside track, but I think both of them are solid. I think both of them are top ten esque programs. Probably will both end up in the top ten this season, but I think either both of them are on the outside end looking for the playoffs. But this one went the way I expected. Oregon and USC. Oregon fifty six and twenty four for the Trojans. Well, USC was up fourteen to nothing they at were. the start of the game. Ten nothing. Yeah, right. It was 10 nothing, And they looked really good. And then Keldon Slovis, he's a freshman. He threw a pick six. Oregon returned a, a kickoff for a touchdown. Oregon, 28 points in the second quarter. This is a team that's starting to gain steam and wants to get back into that playoff race. No, I, I honestly... Utah's the same way. And these two teams, Oregon and Utah, look destined to meet in the Pac-12 championship. Well, Does you... the winner of that go to the playoffs? We'll talk... You have a one-loss Oregon, a one-loss Utah. Maybe. Maybe. The committee probably doesn't like the Pac-12. I'm assuming the committee probably likes Oklahoma more than either of those teams, if I had to guess. Oklahoma on the road lost to Kansas State last week. Yeah, I know. Oregon lost to... Auburn in the opening week. Yeah, no. That's a much more quality victory there, Nate. I know. I'm just... I'm saying it'll be tight, but I think public perception of the Big 12 is a little bit better than public perception of the Pac-12. Which, you look at top to bottom, at the, I mean, the Pac-12 isn't quite as strong as advertised, but the Big 12, Texas lost to TCU last week, then TCU just lost to Oklahoma State, and it's, it's a, Oklahoma State lost to Baylor. Baylor's still undefeated, but had a tight win against West, uh, West Virginia, still has to play. Texas Oklahoma. and Oklahoma. That's an interesting one. I'm gonna. I I think Baylor's probably gonna drop both of those games if I had to guess. Well, if you're guessing on Notre Dame, you're you're not guessing anymore. Trounced by Michigan last week, comes away with the last minute, last second victory against Virginia Tech by one this week. 
the Fighting Irish, were, were we, was everybody too high on them early in the season? Probably. I I don't know. I don't know what I haven't actually watched too many Fighting Irish games this year, so I could I couldn't accurately diagnose any of their problems. But I'm sure people were a little bit too high on them. Ian Book hasn't really made the elite leap. I think he's still pretty good against Virginia Tech, which is a game I actually did watch. He had 350, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Virginia Tech is a solid defense, but they barely escaped that one. With a, they they book, scored book, with like 29 seconds yeah, left. Book, yeah, book ran in for like 29 seconds with a, like a three-yard touchdown. They're probably going to finish the season ranked, probably going to finish 9-3 and three or 10-2. and two. But, I mean, they're out of the playoff picture with that absolute drubbing to Michigan, which, you know, good for Jim Harbaugh to save his job. <laughs> yeah, speaking of Michigan – are they going much farther? I mean, they'll... They look... Since the second half of Penn State, they look like they're back on track. That's what everybody's saying, right? Uh, I'm. They're going to get their doors blown off by Ohio State. Everybody is this season. Their last three games, home against Michigan State. They have a bye week coming up. So yep. then home against Michigan State. That's a win. Little brother rivalry, though. I, That's a win. They have... Michigan State Har- has beat good. Michigan State how many times, Nate? Once. Once. I'm he's one in I think six or seven or maybe eight against uh, one and seven against uh, Michigan State and Ohio State combined. Yeah, no, it's fine. I'm I think I think Michigan's a better team. I wouldn't be like a completely shocked and they play Ohio State. They they have Ohio State home in between Michigan and Ohio Michigan State and Ohio State at Indiana. That's an interesting one. Like the Hoosiers on the road, they've been playing well. Michigan could easily be overlooking them, waiting, just like salivating at that Ohio State game, especially if they beat Michigan State coming out of the bye. They're eight and two. They're like, oh, we can win the Big Ten East if we are able to. Yeah, no, it'll be. It'll nah, be. They wouldn't be. Able, they'd have to have Ohio State lose one because Ohio State would have just one loss then if they beat them. But yeah, no, I, I, I think Michigan is fine. They'll get their doors blown off by Ohio State. They'll win their last two games. Watch uh, out for that sneaky Indiana one again. Sure. At the beginning of the season, I predicted Michigan would be the team out of the top twenty-five after starting in the Big Ten or in the top ten, and I also predicted they would have at least three losses, um, two thirds of the way there, and they have some losable games left. No, I they they certainly might if they. You've told me they finished one and two in these last three games. I wouldn't be the most shocked, but I think they'll get it done against State and Indiana. Nate, let's move on to the rankings. Sure. I want to hear your college football playoff top six. Your first four in and your two out. My first four in, uh, I would go one, LSU, two, Alabama. Three is going to be Ohio State. Four is going to be Clemson. uh, And then five and six is going to be Oklahoma and Oregon. Oklahoma and Oregon. Yep. You're leaving an undefeated Penn State out with wins on the road at a ranked Iowa, wins against Michigan, Michigan State. They still have uh, a road game against a very interesting Minnesota team. That's true. Uh, Actually, they have you know, a road game against Ohio State and home against Indiana. So there's, again, some tough games still ahead for the Nittany Lions, but undefeated. No, honestly, if you were, if I were to predict what the playoff committee was going to pick, Penn State would probably be five, actually. But I'm saying this in context of where I think the season is going to shake out. And I think that... If they are able to lose to Ohio State close, Ohio State goes to the Big Ten Championship, wins, they're into the playoffs because they're undefeated. 
does a one loss Penn State slip into the um, playoffs based on who loses the SEC championship, which is, again, likely going to be a Georgia that's probably going to move up to the ranks of where Penn State is at? Well, yes, but is a one loss SEC? Is LSU or, or Alabama going to go 11 and 1? And are they, they're not going to put two SEC teams and two Big Ten teams in. There would be damn riots if that <laughs> happened. I mean, especially if Clemson's still undefeated and which just they rolling, should, they which should they be. should be. They have a very manageable schedule, and the ACC is just batshit crazy. But this this is the this is the big argument. Is Penn State or LSU Alabama going to have the better resume? So Probably LSU. LSU. I think, again, so I'm going to quickly give you my top six, very similar okay. to what uh, the AP is right now and what you said. Um, I actually have Ohio State at number one. Okay. I think they've looked the best overall. Um, LSU's probably played the best talent, but they've been kind of close and iffy, and, uh, which you, you can kind of give or take. Those two are probably interchangeable for me. But I'm going to go Ohio State number one, LSU number two, Bama three, Clemson four. I have Penn State at five, and I have Oregon at number six. That's fair. Georgia, I believe, would be probably moving into six based on their win against Florida. So the Georgia-Oregon is probably interchangeable. Oklahoma and Utah right on the outside at seven and eight looking in. So again, they're all kind of right there. What I am interested in knowing, Nate, LSU Alabama play next week. Let's say for the sake of argument, we'll do, we'll do a couple scenarios. Scenario one, Alabama wins. Alabama goes to the SEC championship, beats Georgia. Alabama's in the playoffs. A one loss LSU to Alabama on the road do they slip into the playoffs like Alabama did a couple of years ago? Of course. Over a one-loss Penn State. Yes, of course. Against Ohio State on the road. Yeah, uh, no doubt. Like This is like not even a hard question to answer, of course. SEC bias is kind of real. I think they've earned it in some senses for just being incredible, mostly due to the amount of football talent that congregates in the Deep South. And I think LSU is one of the top four teams in the country. Who knows? Most likely one of the teams is going to drop two games. Two games. I mean, college football is weird. College, college football, football is... is weird. This is true. What What if we go to scenario two? LSU beats Alabama. LSU stays undefeated, goes to... Because after Alabama, I mean, they have uh, Texas A&M. They have Arkansas and Ole Miss. All winnable games. A&M's always a toss-up because that's a crazy rivalry. And then... Arkansas and Ole Miss are both rivalries, but they're not quite as strong this year. So you say LSU beats Bama. LSU goes to the SEC championship, wins. LSU goes to the national or to the playoffs. Does a one-loss Bama with only loss to uh, LSU at home go in against Penn State, who's a one-loss to Ohio State on the road if it's tight on either side? That's a that's going to be a tough question for the committee, and I'm sure they probably won't even have to answer it because, like you said, college football was weird. Somebody's going to lose somewhere and fix all of this. We somebody could, somebody always does. Somebody always does, which is kind of unfortunate because I'd like to see some of these debates happen. I, it, it, it's really strange. Like the closest we got was TCU Baylor Ohio State in 2014. Yep, which was like an actual like straight up debate, which is like. Which one of these teams deserves to go to the playoffs? Ironically, I don't even want to say that one was post-solved because Ohio State ended up winning the title because in the two-game playoff, it's it's real weird and real messy, and many teams, Alabama could have easily won the playoff that year if a couple of bounces had gone different. So could have Oregon. Yeah. And you could have been like, well, 
Baylor should have been in there, or TCU should have been in there. Definitely. So I, I don't even know, man. I, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see. Uh, I mean, again, this is all there's a cynical this is all part, skepticism there's a, right yeah, now. There's the cynical part of me that just says, yeah, the SEC is gonna get two teams in there if they, they allow it. They've but, already allowed it. Yeah, I know. This will be a little bit of a change though. This would be two teams from the same division, both either on the Big Ten side or the SEC side, and that. That hasn't happened. There's been Georgia, Alabama, and obviously they met at the conference or the national championship game two years ago. They were both in the playoffs last year. Two teams from the same division, so one of them wouldn't even win their division because the other one would. But they could both potentially go to the playoffs. Well, honestly, Alabama honestly, didn't. Alabama didn't win their division two years ago. No, they didn't. Auburn did, but Auburn again lost to Georgia, so then Alabama went to the playoffs. But if Auburn would have won. They would have knocked Georgia out. That would have been Auburn, Alabama. So there's potentially yeah. again the two division, two from the same division. It's hard though because Penn State, Ohio State, Alabama, and LSU are four of probably the six, maybe seven best teams in the nation. Oh, I do. I do and think so. They're the four of them, the two of them, or two of them together, and each one are from the same division. You know what would fix this? An eighteen playoff. Oh no! Here we go again. Well, no, that's it. That's all I'm saying. All right, we'll we'll dive into that on another podcast episode. But yeah, no, I I think yeah, that's it's about the nine teams that are left. I would say, which you know, uh, LSU, Alabama, Ohio State, Penn State, Clemson, Oklahoma, uh, Oregon, and Utah. Oregon, Utah, and Georgia. There are eight teams. Okay. And those are the eight teams for the playoffs. If you, I you don't to, think a Baylor or Minnesota is going to run the table. Uh no, <laughs> I mean they're still eligible. They they're, they they're totally well. they totally could run the table and make the playoffs. I just don't see it for them. Last topic to kind of wrap up our show, Nate. Last week the NCAA voted on having discussions to talk about the opportunity and the ability to allow players to be paid for use of their name, image, and likeness. What are your initial thoughts on this? Good. Good. Why good. is was it good? Tell the folks. Something, something, free market. I mean, you're going <laughs> to allow people to make money off their name and likenesses. Why, why wouldn't you let people do that? It's, it's say exploitation is a really strong word. I don't really want to use it. But they're getting, in a sense, they're, they're providing labor for the college, for industries. The NCAA makes millions and millions of dollars. The universities make millions and millions of dollars. And for them to say to student athletes, are the workers, in a sense, who put out the product, that makes and also put out their health and bodies on the line for the product. Yeah. How can you not allow them to get a piece of the pie if they deserve it? How could you not allow Tua to go sell Tua shirts for $20 a pop and make him some money? No. And I I agree. And I want to clear up for our listeners. This is different than paying the players outright. Yeah. Uh, This is two separate issues. There's the issue of paying the players to be an athlete on the collegiate team. And then there's the issue of using their likeness in image and name in a commercial for selling products or yeah, this is, if uh, they just want to sign autographs and get paid five bucks a exa- pop. Exactly. And people can always do this. The coaches can do that. Nick Saban was in Aflac commercials this year. Yeah. Why can't Tua be in an Aflac commercial? <laughs> I would like to see Tua in an Aflac commercial. Get, I think he's a nice guy. Get uh. Get Trevor Lawrence in those State Farm ads with Aaron Rodgers. Oh, please. <laughs> no, I, I completely agree. Um, the playing the payer, paying the players issue is a very different uh, scenario, and that 
that's a much bigger conversation, much more difficult to regulate because you're like, oh, all student athletes will need to be paid equal across all sports. So our star swimmer, she needs to be paid as much as our starting quarterback. That's not feasible. That's not realistic because the star quarterback and the football team make a lot more money than the swim team swim team, especially at other schools. Nebraska's their swim team actually might make a profit because we're Husker athletics and everybody attends any Husker athletic event. But again, you, then you look at like the difference in success. The football team obviously is the big ticket, but volleyball's won two out of the last four national championships at Nebraska. And those volleyball ladies are star athletes. A lot of them go on uh, to like play for U.S. teams or other professional uh, entities. So you're like, oh, they should make more money. They're actually having the success. This is different than paying the players because that goes down to like a D1, D2, D3 level. The colleges have don't have the money to kind of do that, and how would that be funded? This is just straight up. If I'm Adrian Martinez and I want to sign an autograph and have you pay me $5 for it, I can do that. Yeah. And, it's, and I should have the right to do that. Give Reggie Bush his Heisman back. <laughs> yes. Reggie Bush should have his Heisman back. He was clearly the best player in college football. It's awarded the best player in college football. The money did not make him a better athlete. That's one of my biggest arguments with the Reggie Bush Heisman. And, like, I'm not the biggest Reggie Bush fan in the world. Just the sheer idea of taking away someone's Heisman because he got money to do what he's already really good at. That's ridiculous. Yeah. He was already really good at it. You were going to give it to him anyway. Exactly. The money makes no difference. That's legal. Was it Todd Gurley who got busted for... Is selling yes. his jersey? Yes, because he was selling jerseys or selling autographs because he wanted to help buy his mom like a new house or like help with a car payment or something like that because he grew up really poor. His mom still didn't have a lot of money. And I remember hearing a story that Kenny Bell said once that his electricity and his water got shut off in his house when he was living here in Lincoln as a student because he didn't have time for a job and he was playing sports. He was going to class. He doesn't have time to have a part-time job. He didn't have money to pay his electricity bill and his water bill. So he got shut off when he was living here in Lincoln. If Kenny Bell would have sold some autographs or sold some t-shirts, started a commercial, started a commercial, which he has now because he's out of college. Husker fans would love it. Husker fans love Kenny Bell. Husker, Husker fans would pay big money for a Kenny Bell autograph and he would have money to turn on the lights in his house Yeah, or turn on the heater. There's not zero downsides, but there's less downsides than I think people think. And it's just good for the kids that they can make money. Exactly. This is no different than a music student making his own mixtape or putting his own music on Spotify and getting paid for it because he's studying music. He's probably in the band here or in a choir on campus. Why should he, like, he can get paid, but our, our student athletes can't. Yeah. Because he signs autographs on his mixtape and his CDs and sells those um, out on the street. The student athletes should be able to use their likeness. I'm really glad that California put this law in place and the NCAA is taking it into consideration, having talks about it. This is important because, again, like you said, these guys are laying their bodies and their health on the line. They are the workers for a product that makes millions and millions upon dollars. It's completely fair to allow them to play. And one last topic or one last story I want to bring up is the kicker from UCF, Central Florida, a couple years ago. Oh, He's yeah. a fabulous YouTube star. He just loved making YouTube videos. And only in like one or two videos did he mention that he was a kicker for UCF. He, his videos, I can't remember what the topic was, but it were on a completely non-football related topic. And the NCAA wrote him a letter that said, all right, you have to decide. You can either go make money being YouTube star or you have to stop, uh, or you have to play football and you can only do one of them. You have to stop YouTube if you play football. You have to stop football if you do YouTube because 
you're using your likeness, you're using your power as a kicker at UCF to do that. Those are his two passions in life, and he had to quit one because the other one makes him money, and he has a future in that. And it's ridiculous because there's, again, I go and make YouTube videos all the time. Mine don't get watched like his do, <laughs> but still, there's no reason I can't make money off that and go be part of activities on campus at the same time. Yeah, Other students are able to make money with part-time jobs and things that they do. This is a simple thing that student athletes can do. And yes, some people are going to want an Adrian Martinez autographed jersey far more than a Luke McCaffrey one, although that one could change soon. You're going to want your like starting quarterback versus yeah. your third string quarterback. I get that. So some kids are going to make more money than others, but the fact that they can make money in the first place is a win. Yeah, I agree. Hopefully the Huskers will be winning again soon, Nate. We yeah, already okay. we'll Yeah, see. no, we're just not going to go back into that. Thank you all for tuning into the second string. For Mr. Nate Mobach, I'm Alex Fernando. We love you listening to all your college football news here. And if there's some topics you want us to cover, send them our way. But we'll catch you all next time. Uh, it'll probably be a couple weeks. I don't want to talk about Wisconsin after that happens, nope. but we're going to have to do it. Uh, we'll see where we're at in a couple weeks. Huskers on by this coming weekend. So we just got to kick back and relax. Watch and some watch, good football. Watch LSU, LSU Alabama. Alabama. So uh, what was weird this week, Nate, LSU, Alabama, Ohio State, Wisconsin, all on bye week. Yeah. So like you just missed like all the great players, like a ton of Heisman candidates. Oklahoma was on bye week. You're just like, where's all the like high caliber teams? That so was weird. They're coming back. We're in November. It's college football season. We're here for it. Take care of yourselves.